Hello and welcome to the Coastal Drone Co. podcast. My name is Ian. I know it's been a while since you've heard from us, but thanks for tuning in to us here in 2021. Be sure to subscribe and stay tuned for more frequent episodes where Mark and I will discuss current events, opportunities, products, and concepts, and interview industry experts about how you can achieve maximum return on your training and skill development with Coastal Drone. Now sit back and listen in as our current episodes are just about to start. Hello and welcome to the Coastal Drone Podcast. Today is November 10th, 2021, and this is our 10th episode. My name is Ian Wills. I'm the president of Coastal Drone Co., Canada's most successful online drone training and certification provider. If you're looking to become a licensed drone pilot in Canada, you can visit us at coastaldrone.co to find out more information about our online, on-demand video training courses for beginners and professionals. Today we're talking with Mark Watkins, our operations manager, about starting a drone program and doing a cost-benefit analysis of whether it's ideal to purchase your own equipment and hire staff internally or to consider outsourcing for drone operations. So Mark, you've been working on a blog article about all of this and I'd love to get an idea about what our listeners can expect to see on our website. Um, So can you give us an overview of the article and then maybe we can dive deeper into some of the key takeaways. Yeah, for sure. So when uh, when a company decides that uh, a drone program might, might be right for them, I think one of the best things to do is for them to start out by asking themselves how much it costs them to acquire the data that they would be getting with drones before they get the drones. Then they'll have a baseline to to sort of uh, make a a more uh, informed decision on where they should go from there. So if if the uh, drones are going to offer the same data at a a more competitive cost, then obviously that's something they'd want to consider. So in uh, in the blog post that I wrote, um, I considered a bunch of different factors. I sort of broke it down into six cost categories. Um, and then I just went through and, and cost out each of those for uh, what I, I anticipate it would cost a company to be able to start those programs up on their own using their mm-hmm. own internal resources. So, yeah, like one of the things we've been looking at, like Coastal Drone has, we've got a remote pilot network and then we do a lot of consulting and support and training for organizations uh, basically in any size, right? So you've got small operators like solopreneurs and, and entrepreneurs and, and individual drone pilots. And then you've got smaller medium businesses that maybe have a team of 10 or 15 people and they're looking at adding a drone person or maybe it's a large enterprise. So first off, like what, what kind of audience are we looking at with this, this article? Who would be someone that this might be most interesting to? Sure. Yeah, this this would be mostly targeted at uh, larger larger industries that are or companies that are looking at starting their own program. Um, for smaller companies, they might actually be able to uh, do it on a lower budget. Really, uh, it, it depends on what kind of um, factors come into play down the road with uh, with the decisions on, on what they're going to do for the program, like what equipment they're going to use, uh, how they're going to uh, source their pilots. Is it going to be an internal or external? If it's internal, are you going to have those pilots also doing, uh, will they have other jobs within the company or is it going to be a solely uh, like a, a piloting the drone position? Right. Uh, if yeah, if, if you're doing that, hats, yeah, right? exactly. And if you're doing, um, <laughs> if, if you're creating positions strictly for piloting, that's going to be, um, you, you're, obviously that, that means that you're anticipating doing a lot of flying because you know, there's eight hours in the workday and a person can get a lot of flying done in that time. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So, um, kind of like, 
what would be the first real starting point? So you talk about, like, obviously cost is going to be a big driver, I'd imagine. And and really, that's what we're coming down to here is is kind of the, is it going to cost us more internally than it would to outsource and hire? Or uh, what would be some of the, the key factors in cost? I think you mentioned training. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, I broke it down into uh, training, insurance, compliance, equipment, pilots, and administrative costs. And then, so within each of those, um, you have, uh, there's a, it it depends on, I mean, the the training costs are are pretty straight up. It's just, if if you're getting an advanced certificate, it's going to be $600 if you went through us. Uh, I think that we're we're pretty standard standard, uh, for training costs in, in the industry. Um, but, uh, as you go down though, some of the costs fluctuate quite a lot, like equipment can, you know, it can be a few thousand dollars for a drone or it could be 30,000 if you like it, it really depends right. on you know, your flavor. So, um, the, the costs can fluctuate quite a bit, but, uh, so it depends on what you need to accomplish when you're, uh, when you're starting up your program. So what, what would it? be a good kind of use case scenario for starting a drone program? Like, like if we start looking at the cost and we look at everything, like what, um, what would be like an ideal scenario that this is okay. Cost aside from it, what, what would be the, a good trigger for a company to say, look, we need to bring in a drone program internally and, and we want to start collecting some sort of aerial imagery. Like what, what scenarios would drive that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, there's, there's, well, there's two things that jump to my mind right away. One would be the quality of the data. Um, you can get a perspective that you just normally can't get using a drone, and and that can be useful in many instances. It's, you know, if you're doing something like um, inspections, or if you're doing a comparison of a an area over time, and you can put the drone in the same spot, it's very easy to see changes that have occurred. So that type of work, um, I think, would be a, a pretty big um, uh, a big bonus. Another thing that really jumps to mind is safety. Um, in a lot of uh, industries, a lot of the work that we can get drones to do would be something that we'd be asking a human to go and do. So, you know, if you're going to go and inspect um, a wind turbine or something like that, then you know, it's it's either you get someone to you know put on a harness and they start climbing, or you can use the drone and send it up there and get some data that's probably just as good, if not better, in many cases than what the uh, the, the person could collect. Yeah, that's a great point. I I see that a lot where a lot of organizations come to us and unfortunately it might be a reactive change that there's been an accident or an incident that uh, someone was at a high altitude or or ideally it's in a preventive scenario where they've decided that look the risk they've done risk analysis and they've identified that operating a drone is going to take someone out of a ladder or take someone out of a bucket truck or get someone off a roof so the the transition to using a drone or an RPAS is obviously a great solution for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then obviously there's the, the financial benefit as well. In many cases, the information that you can gather using the drone is substantially better than you'd be able to get it uh, get without the drone, and um, and the cost is often uh, far far better than you'd be able to. But again, you know, there's just such a wide variety of uh, instances across different industries in terms of what the, the costs would be. And the, and the potential savings would be that it really is a, a case-by-case uh, decision on whether or not an internal or even a drone program at all is, is the right decision for a company. Okay. So <clears throat> I know we're not going to probably go through like verbatim the, the blog post because that would just make this a more of like a dictative kind of uh, episode. But 
one of the things that I'm, I'm looking at the article as we're talking here as well, and, and compliance, right? So there's a lot put on our training side about standard operating procedures and documentation, log keeping, record keeping, paperwork, um, all in the vein of, of being ready for some sort of external audit or process check or verification. So when you're we're in your organization and you've got either one pilot, five pilots, 10 pilots, or 100 pilots, um, that compliance aspect can become such a large driver of, of cost, for one thing, because it's administrative cost, but also of uh, potential reputational cost as well. So maybe speak, if you could speak more to like, um, kind of what your findings are in that area and, and really what, uh, what factors would drive that. Right. So um, w- one of the things that I found was, uh, that, was that was fairly interesting was that um, uh, if, if you're going to be looking for insurance, which most companies would, um, having some sort of um, way to demonstrate that you're, you're doing what you say you're going to be doing within your company, within your organization, when you're operating your drones, and then having a way to follow up on it and say, hey, we, we missed this or we, we made a mistake and that happened. And then, you know, try to have a way of identifying those problems, finding out what a root cause is and trying to rectify that. If you have like some sort of a, a system that's put together to, to encapture or encapsulate all of those factors, then you're, um, you're doing yourself a favor when it comes to applying for insurance, because um, I found uh, that apparently uh, many companies will not be allowed or offered insurance if, or like errors and emissions insurance and uh, commercial general liability insurance, if they haven't actually followed through with uh, a compliance, some sort of a compliance uh, way, a way of making sure that they're staying compliant within their organization. Right. What would you consider like the minimum standard for compliance when it comes to? Uh, Let's let's say like like the vein of this article or the scope of this article is is large operations, but what would be um, kind of the the minimum the re- regulatory requirement that you would need to see if you're operating a drone in, in a program? Um, so the I mean I guess that's a pretty straightforward answer in some ways. Uh, the minimum standard would be just to meet the regulations that are set out by Transport Canada. Um, but then the issue becomes if uh, Transport Canada ever decides to to do an audit for for one reason reason or another, you know, possibly there was an accident that you were involved with or or whatever other reason. Um, if if there is ever an, a decision to do an audit, um, even though you've maybe been meeting the 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 bare uh, minimum requirements, um, having a system that documents how you've been doing that. Uh, makes it very apparent when transport comes in to conduct an audit that things have been done in, in, in a, the proper way and that you've obviously made the effort and you've been doing the due diligence when when required. Um, whereas if you're doing the bare minimum, that's not necessarily a guarantee that your record keeping is going to be spot on. And you you know who knows whether or not you're missing things because regulatorily, there is no um, requirement at the moment to be able uh, to audit yourself. Mm-hmm. but. If your insurance depends on it and your business depends on your drone program, then all of those things become pretty pretty key and in the or pretty pretty big in the importance factor. So right, yeah. and and there is there's software out there that you can use to kind of streamline this process, or there's like compliance services like what we do, where we can go in and say, look, this is probably something that's going to scale appropriately to the size of your operation or make sense. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, moving down the article here, like we we can 
like equipment is pretty pretty straightforward i'd imagine right like you're looking at either one mavic 10 mavics uh or <laughs> one matrice 10 matrices right there's yeah. <laughs> it, it, it really kind of depends on like you said earlier what sensor package you're using how that sensor applies to the drone is it a modular package is it is it a fixed drone operation what level of precision do you need i'd imagine so that that makes a lot of sense to me and then and then pilots um like you said, it, and in a lot of operations, everyone's going to wear multiple hats. So your your one drone pilot's probably your chief pilot, also your compliance guy, and then <laughs> your if you've got a team of pilots, well, are you at what point are you considering having a full time dedicated person that runs each each aspect of this organizational chart that you're growing? So yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot of factors to think about when uh, when it comes into especially like you, you're saying with the um, the human resources side of things because um, you know the the equipment as you said it's it's what you need is what you get but with with pilots um, there's so many ways that you can structure your organization um, and the amount of flying that you have to accomplish is obviously going to play a factor. Um, and then you know I mean maybe you have a large organization that um, is is got multiple locations across Canada and maybe it, it turns into a, a pilot job where the pilots hop around from location to location and you know, lots of factors that could come into play with how you decide to structure it. Um, so the cost could obviously vary pretty uh, substantially with that. Um, I did find that uh, in, in doing a little bit of research uh, that we, we noted that um, it seems as though basically uh, for every approximately for every 10 drones that are in operation within a company um, that that seems to require about the the uh, one administrative position okay and then um, obviously uh, the, the number of pilots would <laughs> wouldn't necessarily correlate exactly with that but uh, but it would probably be related as well because yeah is that like a a one-to-one -one drone to pilot relationship or is that like a five pilots to one like that's if I guess if we're looking at it from the hardware side, because you could be one pilot with five types of drones, or you could be five five pilots with one type of drone. So yeah, that's right. And you know, also the the nature of the uh, operation would come into play as well. If it's if for some reason you you're you're using drones and and you need them operating twenty four seven, then then you're gonna need a lot more pilots at that point. So um, yeah. Uh, a lot of different factors uh and and the costs would fluctuate a lot but i mean at, at the very least at the uh, bottom of the uh, the blog post there's a a little bit of a well there's a, a a structure or a table where it sort of shows what costs i estimated and if you disagree with them that's fine you're uh, welcome to do that uh just put your own costs in and then you can figure yeah. it out and uh, and you know that's that's we encourage you to do that anyways because you're going to get better more accurate results with uh with whatever your situation is but i i tried to be provide a range of, of relatively fair prices for, for different uh, aspects of, of an operation. Well, we'll save the cost values for the, the viewers of the actual blog article as a, a bit of a tease, but mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> you, you do mention in here administration, um, kind of like the highlight points. So you've, you've got things that are going to need to be kept track of, right? So pilot certificates, right? Um, yeah, there is there is a recency component to that. That's every twenty four months. There's got to be some sort of recurrency training or exercise. That's right. Um, pilot rest is interesting. Um, coming from the man, uh, the crewed aviation side, right? That's 
flight and duty is is a critical component of any kind of operation. Um, what was your interpretation for drone pilots with rest? Is that uh, a human factors side or? Yeah, and and it it, it um it, it essentially the, the the rules aren't as stringent when it comes to uh, part nine operations for for drone operations, but um essentially they, they say that you need to make sure that you're well rested and you're you're capable of operating the machine, um, whereas if you're on the manned aviation side, uh, it's more of a uh, <laughs> you you must make sure that you have X amount of uh, hours where you have an opportunity to get uninterrupted sleep and et cetera et cetera. Yeah. Nine nine hours and twelve and, and no more than fourteen on duty and yeah the day very quickly becomes very segmented yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well and that's good so you've got insurance and permissions so permissions would be uh, site access if this is like a mobile operation or um, are you talking about nav nav Canada approval for controlled airspace would kind of fall in that category as well. That would also fall in that category as well. Um, if uh, you know, if you're operating in a municipality and they have local bylaws that pertain to dro- drone operations, you want to make sure that you're complying with those regulations as well. Right. Um, so, a- any a- generally speaking, any any types of permissions would uh, go into that category. But you can see that the uh, the amount of paperwork would uh, could or could, especially if you're operating a large drone fleet, could certainly add up pretty quickly. Well, and I could imagine like like this kind of scales, obviously, like you said, more drones, more hours in flight, more people, more paperwork. Um, but a lot of a lot of solopreneurs out there as well, like every drone operation, it requires some sort of site survey, it requires some sort of SOP. You need yeah. some sort of documentation. Um, and there, there's automated tools out there. Like I, I personally use one. Um, uh, Air Data was one of the tools that I used, but uh, th- there's other ones like FlySafe as well that that are are more comprehensive and scalable for commercial operations. Right? This that was a, a personal tool I used, and mm-hmm. and actually FlySafe's got a a free component to it for personal basic use as well. So that's something that works really well for me. But it's it's something that I think gets glossed over uh, at at the the basic pilot level more frequently because of, there's there's kind of a variety of training standards out there and a variety of of implementations to it. So it it's something that if if you're operating commercially, you're going to be held to a higher standard realistically. And documentation and paperwork is is definitely something that if if you say you're going to do something, which we have to, right? We have our SOPs. If you say you do it, you have to do it, right? So yeah. that's where the the administrative challenge comes in for this kind of operation. Yeah. Um, cool. So uh, <laughs> obviously, Coastal Drone has the remote pilot network, right? So we're talking about drone service providers as an alternative, and and this is obviously a bit of a plug as well for for the remote pilot network, but. Um, maybe Mark, you can speak to that and, and kind of where that would fit in in a scenario that maybe onboarding your own program isn't an ideal solution. Yeah. Um, well, actually, I think that using a drone service provider is possibly a good way for any business to test out the idea of uh, implementing a drone program at all. I think it's a good starting point because you're not sinking yourself right in, buying the equipment, uh, doing all the training, and then finding out that it, the, the program isn't having the desired results. So it, it, this provides a, a more cost-effective way of um, sort of dipping your toe in the water, so to speak. 
and uh, trying to figure out whether or not um, you're going to get the data that you want, uh, whether or not you can get the data that you want reliably from a third service provider, because, um, you know, the, the, that is one of the factors I think that, it, that is an important factor for a company to consider is whether or not um, they have good communication with their pilot and uh, the pilot understands the job. Um, and if they don't, then <clears throat> then the, the product or the data can suffer. Um, so if, if the employee works with the company or for the company already and they start their own internal program, there's, there's possibly a better chance that that employee would have a much better understanding of what they're looking at or looking for when they're using their drone. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, there's, there's pros and cons to either internal and external programs, isn't there? There's, if you've got some sort of transactional need or an ad hoc need for aerial data, and it's fairly standard or, or not necessarily complex, then you can rely on external services and, and probably have access to pilots like the remote pilot networks across Canada Ventures. So it's it has professional pilots across Canada that can serve a lot of variety of needs. But if there's a high level of niche and it's a recurring operation, and it's something that you either well there's also the proprietary aspect of it as well then mm -hmm. then there's definitely a driver to bring that program inside maybe yeah. you start with the rpn understand what the capabilities are and what the limitations are and then you can start tuning that program to fit your needs and then well maybe you hire your rpn pilot that might be one way to solve that problem <laughs> kill two birds with one stone so yeah. <laughs> you, you, you know alternatively you, you could just um develop a compliance program through us as well possibly i'm just <laughs> just i'm spitballing here but you know <laughs> yeah fair enough <laughs> all right well, well, I guess what i'm trying to say is that we've, we've got services that could help uh <laughs> in, in either situation <laughs> yeah so so kind of what would be a typical compliance kind of engagement or relationship so so through coastal drone if if an organization says okay we need to develop this program and we want to scale uh, we don't know what we're going to start with. We don't know what we're going to end up with, but we want to build a scalable program. So what would be kind of the engagement process for that? Yeah. Uh, to start off, uh, the, 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 at the outset, I'd want to um, have a series of meetings and um, go through and ask them. Basically, it's just a, a get to know you process and figure out what their operation is about, what they're trying to accomplish with their drone program. Um, and that way you can start building uh, an operations manual that would um, be appropriate for their, their operation. Uh, and then um, the, the, the goal of the operations manual is to make sure that they're being compliant with the, all of the regulations. Um, so we could help them with uh, putting together an operations manual. We could also help them with uh, building out an internal SOP or standard operating procedures procedure right. within their company. Um, and then they have a company-wide procedure, uh, which is a lot easier to keep track of than if you have a bunch of individual pilots that are, you know, <laughs> coming up with their own ways of dealing with issues. Which Standardization, are, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, finally, tying it all together, we can also put together a uh, an annual auditing package where we would be able to come in and um, look at their operation, make some, uh, go through a bit, essentially just a questionnaire checklist of um, what it is that their their operations manual says that they do, and then go and look at the facts on the ground and make sure that you can see all the documentation is in place. Um, you know, you can do staff interviews and just make sure that people are reporting that the way 
the operations manual says that you do business is the way the company really does do business. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, and then you generate a, a list of findings and then you have something to work with in terms of trying to implement improvements for the next time. Yeah. And this is, this is something that's obviously non-punitive, right? We're, we're working at this from a constructive approach. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, uh, you know, culturally is something that's incredibly important to get to buy in early on is to make sure that everyone understands that, you know, if if I land the drone too hard and I look around quickly to make sure that no one's looking and then I just walk away, that's not what we want. That's not what we're aiming for. We're aiming for, you know, having a, a good, safe operation. So, you know, what's the long-term effect of that? Well, maybe the next person comes out and when they go to take off, maybe something goes wrong and it, you know, ends up having causing some kind of a problem, possibly even an accident. So right. you, you don't want that. You want people to be upfront and honest about it. And, and then, you know, you you don't blame the person, but you look at the, the surrounding factors and say, okay, well, um, how can we improve the, the overall situation to make sure that the person doesn't, um, or that, that you try to minimize the, the likelihood, likeliness that that situation would repeat itself in the future. Yeah, so a safety positive environment and, and starting with that groundwork and the framework yeah. to build that out. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's it's comprehensive, obviously, right? It's it's something that it's not an overnight process. It's not something that necessarily fits for everyone, but it's uh, something that everyone should be striving to at, at some sort of scale, right? So if it's, like we said, if you're scaling from a solopreneur kind of environment all the way up to... Uh, fortune 500 kind of company that that is looking to manage a huge fleet of drones it's something that everyone should be identifying yeah well um any closing thoughts before we wrap this up um go read the blog blog article so <laughs> let us know what you think <laughs> that's what i think awesome. i think people should yeah um let us know what your thoughts are uh, and uh yeah it's 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 an interesting time to be in the uh, the drone industry with uh people starting up their own internal programs and all sorts of other things. So yeah, it's, it's interesting to see where things are going to go and I'm excited to be uh, participating in it. Yeah, that's true. And that's a good point. So on the blog article at the end of it, we do have contact form. You can, you can tell us how right or how wrong we are about it, just like anything. <laughs> and if you've got questions about uh, starting your own drone program or even just uh, looking at the licensing or other cost processes, um, we're happy to have those conversations anytime. Uh, you can visit coastaldrone.co and you'll see in the top right the free resources section of our blog and we'll also have a link to the blog article directly here and you can find us through that. If you have any other questions or you want to email us directly, you can visit us and email us at info at coastaldrone.co. You can find us on social at coastaldrone.co on the web at coastaldrone.co and thanks again for your time and hopefully you enjoyed this episode and fly safe while you're out there have a great weekend enjoy everybody bye-bye